0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in all the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. You waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded, and they were created. He established them forevermore. He issued a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord, all the earth, you great sea creatures of the deep and all that is in it. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy winds fulfilling His commands, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, creeping things and flying birds, beasts and all livestock, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of all the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Amen. For His name alone is exalted and His majesty is above earth and heaven. And then I looked and I saw in the right hand of him who was seated upon the throne a scroll written within and without with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep bitterly. Because no one is found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And an elder said to me, Weep no more. For behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of Jacob, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and break its seals. And I looked and I I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the world. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. And when he took it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before Him, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to open the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you have ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. And then I, I looked and I heard from the throne and, and the living creatures and the elders... A myriad of angels. Myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands crying out with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb be power and honor and glory and might forevermore. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the angels and the and the elders fell down and worshiped. And Hamilton Baptist Church gathered together in honor of our risen Lord said to our God, Amen. Amen. Our Christ lives. Amen. He reigns today. And everything we believe and hold dear and cherish in our hearts depends upon this reality that the tomb is empty, and that Christ has been risen. And I delight to consider that word with you today. I tell you, He alone is worthy of our worship. His name alone is exalted. His majesty above the earth and heavens. He deserves our worship. He deserves our submission. As we consider this morning from Hebrews chapter 13, the work of our Lord Jesus Christ through His resurrection and how it impacts you and me. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 13. We'll begin in verse 20. You'll find that on page 1010 in the Pew Bible in front of you. If you're not used to looking into a Bible, you'll notice there are big numbers. Those are the chapter numbers. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. We'll be in chapter 13. And then the smaller number, verse 20. As you find your way there, you'll notice that what we're going to consider is what has traditionally been called a benediction. It's the end of a letter. I used to love benedictions. I loved them because my grandparents, especially on Easter and Christmas, would drag us to church at the United Methodist Church in Fallbrook, California... And they always cited a benediction. And whenever you heard the benediction, that meant you survived another service. And, you know, you you're able to wake up and you got energized. I, I made it through it. And man, I loved it when the benediction was cited because it meant it was over. But let me tell you that benediction is far more important for a far greater reason. Because the benediction is the utterance of divine blessing upon you. It is uh, telling you to leave with the grace of God Coming with you. In this case, the grace of God secured for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter thirteen and verse twenty, hear now the word of God. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, that's what we want to do today above all things. We want to give Christ glory. We want him to have glory in our hearts and glory in our minds. And we want to leave here with a desire not to live for our own pursuits, but simply the pursuit of the glory of King Jesus, our risen Lord. And so we ask You even now as we consider who He is and what He has done and how it all hinges upon the resurrection that You would help us to understand Your Word, that we might feast upon it today, find great delight for our souls as we consider You and Your Word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's on April 5th in 1663 in Boston. Pastor John Norton, after preaching his Sunday morning sermon, died. Apparently of a stroke. His sermon was from John 14, in which Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. The title of his sermon was, The Believer's Consolation in the Remembrance of His Holy Mansions Prepared for Him by Christ. He ended his sermon with these words, I have not so lived as that I am ashamed to live any longer, but nor am I afraid to die." That afternoon, he did die. He died without hope. So what do you think about that hope, the hope of life after death? I think for some people, they would think, well, you know, it's just a, a harmless placebo that helps an old man die in peace. For others, they they would perhaps consider that it's, you know, it's a silly notion. We, of course, it's not 1663 anymore. We know quite a bit more than we did back then. It's been 300 plus years, right? We should be on, be beyond these ideas. But I trust for many of us, in fact, most of us, that we praise God for that hope. It's our hope that we too shall live after we die. Of course, Christianity is based upon this belief, isn't it? It is not it There's life after death. And that the grave, though real and painful and continues to be an enemy, is a defeated enemy. It's a doorway to bring us into real life. We believe this not because we simply hope it to be true. We believe it because Christ has shown it to be true. By Himself being raised from the dead as the first fruit among the dead... And it is precisely at this point, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the historical event that we celebrate uh, on this Easter Sunday, and I hope to, by the way, every Sunday, it is at this point that the world stumbles at Christianity. Take, for instance, Charles, Charles Colson, the, the Watergate criminal turned prison evangelist, was once preaching in India. He describes the event by saying, when I was in in India last fall, I had many opportunities to tell what Christ has done in my life. The thousands of faces in those predominantly Hindu crowds would nod and smile as I shared my experience. Hindus believe all roads lead to God. If Jesus was my guru, that was fine. They had their gurus too. But when I spoke of the reason for my faith, the resurrection of Christ, the nods would stop. People's expressions changed and they listened intently. The fact of the resurrection, he writes, demands a choice. One that reduces all other religions to mere philosophies. You see what Coulson's writing, I believe is to be absolutely true, is that That Christianity is not based upon some moral teaching. It's not based upon some philosophy. It's not based upon some ethical commands or spiritual experiences. We want to regulate Christianity in this world. We say, well, I'm I'm happy you you like Christ. And I'm I'm happy He does good things for you. And I have my own religion. And and you should be happy for me. and, And we all just kind of live together as if all our religions were equal. I'm very pleased for you. You be pleased for me. But you cannot do that with Christianity. Because Of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a matter of history. Did it happen or did it not? As Colson, I think, rightly says, the resurrection demands a choice. In fact, this was uh, powerfully seen in Paul's day when Paul went to the center of Roman pluralism, the city of Athens. Just imagine for a moment living 2,000 years ago, perhaps living in Athens yourself, and, and you, like many of the Athenians, love to discuss religion and morality and hear other people's experience. And maybe you could take some of their religion and add it to your own religion. And one day a man named Paul shows up and he joins your conversation. And you, you look at this man, Paul, and say, well, tell us what you believe. And, and he begins to tell you, well, I, I worship a man named Jesus the Christ, too. Lived about 25 years ago in Palestine and he was a teacher and a, and a wonderful miracle worker and had unparalleled wisdom and taught us about love and, and mercy and grace and humility and, and he was murdered. But even in murder, being murdered, he na- never, never gave himself over to rage or, or revenge. And, and now, 25 years later, he has many, many followers, thousands of followers. And listen, he could impact your life too if you would consider his teaching and his work. Well, how would you respond to that well if you're, if you're like the Athenians or maybe like the Americans, you would say well that's interesting and I'm, I'm really happy that this seems to be working for you, and you smile out of respect, maybe you're interested, maybe you're not. But what if he didn't stop there? What if he he kept talking as he did in Acts seventeen and verse thirty Saying, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given us assurance, evidence, proof to all by raising him from the dead. Well, see, Paul just stepped over the line, didn't he? That's when the Hindus stopped nodding. That's when the Athenians begin to ridicule as they did. Acts 17, verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. Right? Because we've moved from experience to historical event. The resurrection demands a choice. Did He rise or did He not rise? It's not a matter of whether it works for me or you. It doesn't matter if I find Christianity helpful or not. If it's a blessing to me or not. That doesn't matter. What matters is if it is true. Did it happen? Christianity says it did. Christ appeared to over 500 people. And their lives were changed because of it. And I tell you, every promise that you hold dear, Christian, every blessing that you seek from God, every hope that you have hinges on the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead as we see in Hebrews 13. Verse 20, he says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. I like how he describes God as the God of peace. That God is at peace and God gives peace. He is a peace-filled God and He is a peace-making God. God is fully at peace. He sits enthroned in heaven and does whatever pleases Him. Nothing can rob God from His peace. Maybe, maybe you weren't raised in a home like that. Maybe your home was not a place of peace. Maybe your, your father was distant or angry. Maybe your home was a, a place of stress or uncertainty. Please understand God is not like that. He is an ocean of calm and serenity and peace. He is the God of peace. He is God at peace. And He is a God who gives peace. He's a peacemaking God. The Bible tells us all of us are born with an inclination to pursue ourselves, an inclination to sin against this God. We are therefore at war with God. And yet God, because of His great love for us, seeks to make peace with us, to overcome the separation of our sin. He is a peace-making God. He is the God of all peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He offers eternal peace to anyone who would receive Him. And you, you and I, may, we may look for peace. And everyone's searching for peace, I believe. It's, it's inside of us to desire. And we look for it in so many different places. I tell you, wherever you look, it will come up short. It will leave you wanting unless you look to God, the God of peace. For you were made for this God. He has created you for Him. He is a God at peace. And only He can give you the peace that you desire. And He does it. By raising His Son from the dead. Do you see that in verse 20? Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. God has raised Him from the dead. Though Christ has died upon a cross. Three days later He rose from the dead. He lives now. He'll never die again. This is the foundation of all our hopes. All our promises. This is the foundation of the church. We see this in the, in the Bible very clearly. We know that Christ of course was crucified. The Romans executed Him in a shameful, disgraceful, violent Violent public way. They pinned him to a cross, to where where he died there upon the cross. And all of his disciples, all the men and women who have been following him for three years, deserted him, ran from him, denied him. They they cowered in a locked room with the lights turned off, right? And there they were, totally disillusioned. And rather than just going back to way life has always been like countless other religious movements in the past, somehow within a generation there were followers of Christ in every province in the empire of Rome. What happened? How do these cowards go to bold witnesses for Christ? Well, you have to do is listen to their testimony. Acts 2. This Jesus God raised up And of that we are all witnesses. Acts 3, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Acts 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed and we are His witnesses. Acts 10, God raised Him on the third day and made Him appear to us as witnesses. Acts 13, God raised Him from the dead and for many days He appeared to those who are now His witnesses. You see these men who were plundered and abused and beaten and jailed and almost virtually every one of them killed in terrible ways proclaimed one truth, that this Christ who they killed, God has raised from the dead. He's alive. He stands alive today and shall be forevermore. And because Jesus is alive, He is your sovereign. He is your King Consider, first of all, the risen Jesus is our sovereign. Notice how the writer of Hebrews describes him there in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He is King Jesus. He is exalted in the highest place, Jesus. He is the one to every knee will bow, Jesus. Revelation 14, the Bible says, I look and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like the son of man with a crown upon his head. Now listen, many people miss this. Billions of people are missing it right now. Maybe you're missing it even in this room right now. But rest assured, one day everyone will see that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. One day every tongue, in fact, will confess it in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So happy Easter. Jesus is alive and he is your Lord. Ruling With absolute authority on your behalf. And friends, if you would submit your life to Him, He would rule you too forever. Second, the risen Jesus is our shepherd. Verse 20 Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, if He's a shepherd, what does that make you? I Me. Mean. we're sheep god intends you to be sheep god created you to be sheep now christian you're more than sheep you're a child of god you're an heir of the world you will reign upon this earth you will be transformed into the image of your older brother jesus christ you're the temple of the holy spirit and on and on and on you're more than sheep but you're still sheep and you will always be sheep and what do sheep need more than anything they need a shepherd You need a shepherd. In fact, salvation is described in these terms in 1 Peter 2. You were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, right? We once, all of us, were wandering like lost and rebellious sheep and we heard our our shepherd call us by name. Stephen, come. And we came running to him. He is the shepherd of our souls. Your soul is made by God to need a shepherd named Jesus. And, And what kind of shepherd is he? He is the great shepherd. He is great in every way. The Bible says he's the providing shepherd. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? I shall lack nothing. He will provide everything for me that I need. He is the strong shepherd. The prophet Micah foretold of the one to be born in Bethlehem saying, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Right? He's going to shepherd you in the strength of the Lord, in the might of the name of the Lord God. He is the strong shepherd. He is the eternal. Shepherd, Ages will come. Eternity will roll on. Millennia after millennia will pass. And Jesus still will be your shepherd. No matter how glorious your destiny may be, Christian, you shall never outgrow your need to have a shepherd. Revelation 7, verse 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. is the way it's meant to be. You as sheep under the care of your shepherd forever. He is a loving shepherd. He loves his sheep. I, I, some of you know I used to keep sheep. Um, and, and they are the foulest animals I've ever encountered. If, if you close your eyes and you walked up to one of my sheep and you just tried to determine if you're at the front end or the back end by using your nose, you would not be able to tell. They, they are stinky, disgusting animals. They are rebellious and foolish and needy, just like you and me. And he loves us. He loves the sheep. He'll leave the 99 sheep to go rescue the one wayward sheep. He will lay down his life for the sheep. You have a shepherd who will never fail you, never let you down, who loves you, who indeed died for you. He is the tender shepherd. Isaiah 40 and verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He cares for you. He carries you. He watches over you as wayward sheep. I tell you, in the midnight hour, He watches you. In the breaking of the dawn, He watches you. In the in the heat of the day, He is watching you. In the anxiety of the hospital room, in the confusion of lingering doubts, in the panic of tragedy, in the grief of a broken home, His eye is upon you. He watches you. His heart is for you. He will care for you in the midst of that. I tell you this morning, Happy Easter. Jesus is risen and He cares for us as the Great Shepherd. And if you will hear Him call you even now, He will shepherd you forever. Third, He is our Savior. The risen Jesus is our Savior. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of, our, of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. God has entered into a covenant. That is, He has made an agreement. Vows have been made. An eternal covenant. It's eternal because it looks backwards into eternity. It reaches into eternity's past. This has always been God's plan. Revelation 13, verse 8, calls Him the Lamb that was slain, listen to this, from the creation of the world. In other words, friends, in the mind of God, Jesus shed His blood before God ever said, let there be light. He was slain before the creation of the world. Every time a sacrifice was offered during the old covenant period, the Son was reminded of the work in which He has planned from eternity past to do. The work to redeem, the work to save. I like how the Puritan John Flavel, the great Puritan of old, once imagined the conversation that must have taken place between the Father and the Son. which the Father said, My Son... Here's a company of poor, miserable souls. What shall be done for these souls? The Son, replying, O my Father, such is my love for them, that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all thy bills. At my hand thou shalt require it. I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my Father, upon me be all their dead. But my son, says God, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last might. If I spare them, I will not spare thee. Content, Father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. Though it prove an undoing to me, though it impoverish me of all my riches, empty me of all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. Peter speaks of Jesus as the Lamb without blemish or defect, chosen before the creation of the world. It's an eternal covenant. It looks to eternity past and it looks to eternity future. It will never end. It will never change. When you and I have been there for 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. This covenant is eternal and is eternal how? You see that in verse 20? By the blood. The blood of our Lord has secured that covenant. I don't know about you. In fact, I I probably do know about you. You, you, like me, find blood repulsive at least alarming. Undoubtedly, you have seen the pictures of the carnage at the metro station and the airport of Brussels this week. You, like me, have witnessed people lying in pools of their own blood. And it it, it evokes an emotional response when we see that. When we come upon a traffic accident, we see a puddle there, and then we realize that's human blood. We stop in our tracks. Because blood is the very presence of life. And when it's spilled, it's the very presence of death. And, And the writer of Hebrews says, it is the blood of the Son of God is the death of the Son of God that brings you your life. It is your salvation. It is the only answer to your sin. It's why Jesus on the eve of His crucifixion lifted up the wine and and said to them, all, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. Without the shedding of blood, the writer of Hebrews says, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the answer to your sin, the answer To find an eternal life is not trying harder. It's not accumulating a a record of good deeds. The answer is not a ritual. It's not a a principle or some life insight. It's not some philosophy. or It's not being baptized or, or praying five times a day. It is only through the blood that we might be saved. I don't know if you ever heard of Rhonda Burns who years ago wrote this book that was a worldwide bestseller, sold millions of copies. The title of the book was The Secret. I'll just save you from having to buy the book. I'll tell you the secret. You ready? The secret is, according to Rhonda Burns, is you can get what you want by wanting it, which seems like one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. Well, Rhonda Burns has written a sequel to The Secret. Another Oprah endorsed book, right? You can have it for only 12 bucks. The Secret Gratitude Book. And it is a book mostly of blank pages. In which according to Miss Burns, you create physical manifestations of your gratitude. That is you write things down you're thankful for. And that's that's the secret she says. Now friends, certainly it's good to be thankful. But I'll tell you we need more than a trite principle and blank pages. We, we We need some more than just a new way of life or some philosophy. is totally inadequate to deal with the relational aspect of our sin. For our sin is not a violation of some moral compulsion upon our heart or some abstract principle. It is a rejection. It is a rebellion against a personal God, against God Himself. And dealing with your sin is going to take a lot more than you thinking differently about it. God understands this and therefore He dealt with your sin personally by sending. His Son to spill His blood. It is by the blood of the eternal covenant. And I'll tell you, the blood of Christ shows you two things. It shows you, first of all, that you are more sinful than you ever imagined. The blood of Christ shows you that you have far underestimated the evil that resides within your own heart. In fact, your sin is so terrible, your debt is so large that only the blood of Jesus can pay for it. But it shows you something else. It shows you that you are more loved than you ever dreamed, than you ever dared to dream. If the measure of love is what it gives, can there be any greater gift than the love, than the the death of the Son of God for sinners? You know, knowing all of our waywardness and knowing all of our rebelliousness and knowing all of our brokenness, He put His Son to death so that you and I can have life. And now His blood is the red carpet upon which we walk into the presence of God. It is the red carpet welcoming all sinners and rebels to a holy God who will forgive their sins. Now, now, I know it's Easter, right? And we're supposed to be thinking about lilies and, and pastels and frolicking bunnies. But listen, before we can celebrate the, the peace of Easter, we have to understand that it comes through the stank, crimson, blood-soaked cross of the Son of God who died for you and for me. And it is through that sacrifice, and that sacrifice only and faith in it, that we can be saved. It is through His death That we can have life, eternal life. I love the story of Donald Barnhouse, the great preacher of old. He was driving his children to the funeral for his wife, his children's mother. And he was struggling to know how to talk to his kids about the death of mommy. And, And as he was driving, a big semi comes by and drives by them. In the position of the sun, the the shadow falls over their car and it occurs to Barnhouse. He says to his kids, he says, do you see that truck? And they say, yeah. He says, do you see that shadow of the truck? And they say, yeah. He says, what would you rather be hit by? The truck or its shadow? And the kids say, well, the shadow. He turns to his kids and says, The truck of death hit Jesus. So the shadow of death would hit mommy. It is through the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, that we have salvation. So happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He is risen from the dead. His death saving us from our sin according to the eternal covenant of God. And if you would trust him, you can be saved as well. Fourth, the risen Jesus is our sanctifier. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do His will. So through the risen Jesus, God is going to equip you to do His will. The word equip is an interesting word. It often is translated as repair. When the apostles were on the shore mending their nets, that's the word it's using, right? Repairing that which is ripped. What the Bible's telling us here is that God is healing you. That God is repairing you. He's restoring you. He's restitching you that you might do His will. That in fact, that we might become more and more like our older brother, Jesus Christ. That's what He's doing in your life. Most of you have met my kids Maybe some, some of you haven't. But if you haven't met my kids, it wouldn't take you long to determine that they're my kids. Right? Um, they, all, they all like to dance, right? just like their daddy. Right? Uh, three times a week, there's some dance concert for my kids. They're all, all musically talented, just like their daddy. Right? 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 They, they all are generous and sacrificial, right? Just like their mommy. N- none of my kids were born. This is interesting. Um, um, maybe your kids was born with this. None of my kids were born with an inside voice. Right? 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 Um, they all they all have they all have a lot of opinions. Many of them know better ways to do things than than I know, and mommy knows much to my mother's delight. I think. And so if you were to find a kid, maybe even if you didn't. No, they're my kids, but you know me or Allegra, and you would find one, one of these kids running around, you you could probably soon say, Well, you're a carn, aren't you? Because you act like a carn. That's what God is doing in you. He is equipping you so that you might do his good will. You're a Christian, aren't you? Because you act like Christ. But that's not all he's doing. Read on in verse twenty-one. In addition to equipping us with every good thing that you may do as well. I love this. He is working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. See, through the risen Jesus, God is working in us that which is pleasing to Him. Pleasing in His sight. He says, I'm going to work in you. I'm working in you because you can't do it. I love Jeremiah 32. It says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. That's the eternal covenant. Listen, that I may not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. You hear that? God's saying, I make a covenant. Here it is. I will not turn from you and I will ensure that you will not turn from me. I don't know if you, can, you see the security in that. Right? You think, well, how do I know it's an eternal covenant? What if I mess up? What if I walk away? God said, I won't let you. I won't let you leave me. God keeps His side and God keeps our side. That is the very essence of the new covenant. That's what makes it new. That, that's, that's why when we sing, we don't sing, Great is our faithfulness. Right? That would be a bad song. Don't sing that one. Right? Great is thy faithfulness. Because He he keeps us. He's working in us right now. He keeps us when we doubt Him. He keeps us when we sin against Him. He, He keeps us when we've been distant from Him for weeks or months or years. He keeps us. There's such security in that. God working in us. It's not just security Do you see the joy in that. He is working in you. Look, it's just the Word of God. I'm not making this up. He is working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. This is not something He hopes to do. This is not something He intends to do. This is not something that He will get around one day to do. He is doing it right now He is working in you what? What is pleasing in His sight. So even with all your doubts and difficulties, Christian, with even with all your sin and struggles, Christ is working in me and you for His pleasure right now. What that means is He is not pleased with some future version of you. One day He'll perfect you. And He'll be pleased with that. But He is pleased with you right now he is pleased not with the final product alone but with the process god is like an artist right with a canvas and and all we see is purple and yellow and and orange or whatever it is but god god knows what he's doing and he's he enjoys the process to bringing you to the place in which he wants to bring you you need to hear this christian you are not a disappointment to god you're not he is working in you. And, and maybe you blew it this week. I'm not denying that. It's part of the process. It's part of His work in you. As I, I say to you occasionally, He's not grading the test. He's not looking at your life and saying, okay, you, you missed this one. Or you missed that one. Oh, come on. How can you miss that? That was so easy. F. Take it again. No, He's already graded the test. Do you know what you got? Rebellious, wayward, sinful. Child of God, you know what you got? A plus. So how's that possible? Somebody took the test for you. And it's not cheating this time. Right? The one time, it's not cheating, someone came said, I'll take the test. His name was Jesus. You see the security in that. And it even goes beyond that. And now what is He doing? He's working in you His pleasure. Now, He may want more from you. He may have greater desires from you. He may be thinking, listen, you're in the shallow end. Let's swim in the deep end. There's so much freedom and joy here. Come on. Why are you stay over there? Let's go. He may want more for you, no doubt. But please understand that in Christ, He is working right now in you His Pleasure. Is there joy there? Man, I think there's just so much joy. You don't have a Father that you can't please. He is pleased with you because He is sanctifying you. So I tell you, happy Easter. Jesus is alive and He is pleased with you as He is working in you. And if you would yield your life to Him, He will begin to work in you too. Lastly, the risen Jesus is our satisfaction. One more time, perhaps. Now may the God at peace who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do His will, working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that sounds about right to me. To Him be glory for I would say so worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing is the acclaim of the myriads and myriads of angels in heaven it ought to be our acclaim as well for we get a sovereign ruler ruling on our behalf he gets the honor of ruling we get a shepherd caring for our needs. He gets the honor and the glory of providing for us. We, we get a savior who's washed away our sins by his blood. He gets the glory of one who gathers together a, a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and is making them a kingdom and priest to our God who will rule upon the earth. We get a sanctifier who restores us. He gets the glory of an artist making us beautiful, happy, He's Jesus is alive and your delight is found in Him. You were made for Him and for His glory. And if you would turn your heart's affections to Him, He will fill your heart with overwhelming joy. Happy Easter. Of course, it all hinges on the resurrection. If He's still in the tomb, none of it's true. As the Bible says, if Christ has not been raised, we above all people are to be pitied. We're fools. But if He's been raised, it's all true. Now listen, it's not a matter of believing me. It's not a matter, does does this work for you? This is not a philosophical debate. It's not a... Propaganda. It's not an idea. It's not some advice on how to have a better life or be more thankful or to get what you want by wanting it. It's a matter of history. Did Jesus, bodily, physically, historically, one day get up from the dead and walk out of his tomb? I believe it. He appeared to 500 people, changed their lives, spread across this world. Friends, that's what Easter is about. That's what Easter is about. We believe not that He rose in our heart. That's Christianity made nonsense. Did He actually rise? And maybe you're here, maybe you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that question. How can I know? Maybe you want more information. Listen, if you're visiting with us today, I want to let you know we got a gift for you. The elders are going to be at the door. They're going to be handing out this little book, Who is Jesus? And I would love for you to take this and, and read it uh, this this book tells you what we believe about Jesus, what Jesus said He was going to do, what He did, what He taught. And we think it might be a, a great resource for you to begin to explore these ideas. And so we want to put this in your hands as you walk out of this auditorium. Now, if, if you're a member of this church and you, you want this book, buy your own. Okay? It's not for you. Okay? It's for our guests. E- Easter... Easter, t- See, what Easter tells us is it's not a matter of what I can do. That's, that's the point. If you leave it here with anything, Easter tells us not it's not a matter of your good works. It's not a matter of what you can do. All that matters is what has been done for you. Let me close with this, this story. Uh, we, we, we're uh, kind of 60 minutes junkies in our house. We, we love that show. My kids like to watch it with me. And, and Some time ago, we were, we were watching um, an interview of Jack Welch, who's uh, the former CEO of G.E., General Electric, a best selling author, highly paid business consultant, I mean, he's at the top. He, is, he has hit the top. And, and they ended the interview. It was interesting. I've pe- pe- uh, perked up. The interviewer, at the last question he asked him, or the second to the last question, he says, Mr. Welch, what's the hardest question you've ever been asked? And he paused for a moment and thought, and he said, The toughest question I've ever been asked is, Do you think you will go to heaven? And so the interviewer asked, well, well, how did you answer? And Mr. Welch said, if it's about caring for people, about giving it your all, about being a great friend, I'm in no hurry to get there, but I think I've got a shot. May I tell you this morning, based upon the authority of God's word, that is the wrong answer. It is not because we gave it our all that we will go to heaven is because he gave his all. It is not because we have done enough good things. It is because he has paid the penalty for all the bad things and the sinful things we have done. It is not because we took care of people, but it is because he has taken care of us. All due respect to this very accomplished man, I would say it is not a tough question at all. The Bible unequivocally and clearly answers it in Romans 10 and verse 9 saying if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God, what is it church? Raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's it. So don't try to get an accumulation of works that you might present before God because it will not be enough to atone for your sin. You must bow your knee to the crucified and risen Savior. And you could do that right now. You could let go of all the work and all the guilt and just surrender your life to Him. In fact, why don't we all bow our heads for a moment? And maybe God's working in your heart We're going to end in just a moment. But perhaps God's working in your heart and you're thinking, yeah, I I believe. I've been trusting in myself and now I know I I have to trust in God and I want to be saved. Maybe you would pray a prayer like I'm going to pray silently in your heart. You just pray it after me. God in heaven, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe you sent him here to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe he was my substitute when he died upon the cross. And I believe he rose three days later from the dead. And now I call out to you, a holy God, have mercy on me. Give me grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ. I submit my life to Him right now and forevermore. With your heads still bowed, please, I want you to understand that if you prayed that prayer or something like it in your heart, the Bible says that there is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than when 99 who need no repentance. I would would implore you to tell maybe the people that brought you or invited you here, uh, maybe the elders standing at the door on your way out, you can find me. And maybe we could begin to talk about what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to be saved? And that we could help you on this pilgrimage. And for the rest of us, may we see, be convinced this Easter Sunday once and again that Christ is worthy of all of our lives. In fact, pray with me, church. Our Father, we're so thankful for your work for us. We have no hope apart from Christ. We are not worthy or deserving of his blood, of his life, of his care, of his reign over us, of his sanctification. We're not worthy of any of it, but we gladly, joyfully receive it. What more can we want? The acceptance of a God who fills our heart with joy and peace through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And may we leave this place triumphant, joyful, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because our Lord is alive. And that changes everything. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.